And a lot of the engagement with that ad is just entertainment. I think that's something we haven't mentioned is engagement can be entertainment. People are going to remember that because it made them laugh. And you know, entertainment can still tie to sales. Right. I feel like sometimes brands like, oh, we're going to be entertaining, but it has nothing to do with their mission or their avatar or offer in any way. So I think there's a fine line. And yes, you want to just grab attention sometimes, but even better if you can tie these things together in a way that congruent. It's hard. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, VP of Marketing here at Tier 11, joined by two of my team, Daniel Green and Lynn Swayze. Welcome back. Hey, hey. Hello. So today we figured it'd be a perfect time to start talking about 2024. So a lot of direct consumer and e-commerce brands are probably just coming out of the hangover and recovery phase from Black Friday, Cyber Monday which was really the whole month of November, it seemed like. By the time it got to Cyber Monday, it seemed like a lot of the energy had died out, at least from my own shopping experience and feed. But coming out of that, start getting into this stage where brands should really be thinking about their 2024 and how they're going to be approaching that. So that's what we're going to be doing today is talking about your marketing plan for 2024 and how to think about what you might be doing differently. Yes. Sounds good. Did you guys get anything amazing on Black Friday and Cyber Monday? We got some of the kids' Christmas presents, and we and we sent some deals to the grandparents for the kids. (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of our approach. So for Christmas, from us to the kids, we're going on a trip instead. So we don't have much present buying to do in our own family, although my wife's family has like 100 people in it. So we still have a lot that we're shopping for. So we just passed off deals to family and said, hey, buy this for the kids and had some success there. Am I the only one when they send their family Amazon links, they use Amazon affiliate links? I don't blame you. That's smart. (laughs) Get that three cent kickback. Christmas just got better. The big thing I got was a a pool vacuum. Ours was on its last leg and the pool is starting to look green. So it wasn't really a gift or anything. It was just a deal. That'll help with the uh, kids' parties, I'm yeah. guessing. It already looks so much better. And I'll just kind of go outside and watch the pool vacuum do the work now. Nice. Yeah. Now, can you use the pool year-round? No, it's very mm. cold right now. If I was into ice baths, yes, but... <laughs> very cold. California right. cold. <laughs> I mean, it's probably like... The pool water has to be below 70. Yeah. The, the Pacific <laughs> Ocean's far colder than that. Your pool is probably always going to be warmer. But you anyway. acclimate, you know, the human body acclimates, so... Just buy a wetsuit. It's been really hard to acclimate out here because it's cold today. Cold being high 50s, low 60s. But next week, it's going to be high 70s again. So how do you acclimate when it's all over the place? Man, California struggles. It's hard. I feel so bad for you, Tom. (laughs) It's rainy in like upper 30s here today. That's what we've got. Yeah. So I don't want to hear about your pool anymore. Let's talk about marketing. Good plan. Speaking of plans, how should brands be looking at 2023? Like any specific things they should be taking from 2023 when they start their 2024 marketing planning? That's a good question. I mean, you always want to look at your best performers. So like here at Tier 11 with our clients, we do QBRs and look at best performers, look at trends. So always look at those. I think it's also important to assess what hooks or what kind of psychographics or avatars didn't you touch? 
Are there trends that competitors had hopped on or pain points that competitors were addressing that you weren't? So kind of taking a big holistic view, of course, I'm content copywriter, so I'm going to look at the, the psychology, but that's what I would say. I'm sure a media buyer might say something different of, well, look at your best performers. That counts. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. And take that information into 2024 with the understanding that what did work might not work. That's kind of always the catch with media buying or creating content in general is just because it worked doesn't mean it's going to. But that is kind of a head start you can have to at least get things rolling. But yeah, definitely noticing your trends, I think is a big thing. And Lynn, you were saying, looking at audiences that you may not have touched in the previous year. But I also think one of the things you could definitely analyze is what are the new audiences you didn't expect to reach in Mm. this past year? Because that may be something you've been like, oh, cool, we broke into this little world, but you never really explored it deeper. And you could find that you've just got a much bigger audience there than you actually realized. So definitely look at the new things that you discovered. And is there any more opportunity in there as well? Yeah, I think that is a good point. It's like really important to dive into your data and really mine it. After having probably a lot more customers come through in the last month, those are people you should be reaching out to and talking to and finding out what about them haven't you explored yet. One of the things that we've been talking about this whole year, it seems like, is expanding beyond your core group, your core audience, the people who are most likely to convert. How do you expand out into broader audiences through awareness and consideration, which I'm sure we'll hit on in a little bit. For me, the big thing really looking back would probably be like the channels that were most effective for you. And that's not just YouTube versus Google versus Facebook versus TikTok. Like it's how effective was your email? How effective if you do PR was PR or news cycles and really try to identify the spots where you had success and then look into why you had success in these areas to see if any of that translates over to other areas. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something to be said, too, of like going into the new year. Obviously, they're the stereotypical trends that you probably want to look forward to. But I think you hit January, you hit the whole like new year and new you sort of mindset for a lot of things. But even beyond just that mindset, I think looking at what worked for you last January, this previous January, seeing what connected with your audience then, I think that's kind of the low hanging fruit at the end of this year, this month going into the new year look for that low hanging fruit of like, okay, what worked for us in January that might be around some of those new year mindsets? And how can we leverage that again? It goes to timeliness. So, you know, as you think about planning your marketing, hopefully the e-commerce brands listening are planning for holidays. But if you're not, that's a quick win for any brand. How can you add timeliness and relevancy to the mindset where people are right now? And that includes holidays. Is it Memorial Day or Independence Day or Halloween or whatnot? And thinking about the space that people are in and tying your marketing to that. We have at least one case study where the best campaign they ever did was because they tied their product to Memorial Day. Yeah, the things that worked at specific times throughout the year last year are likely to work again in the coming years. While there are general larger factors at play, in the end, people tend to go through the same cycles throughout the year. Yeah, and with holidays as your reference point, that's an easy way to figure out what people's mindsets are going to be. You know, around Thanksgiving and Black Friday, people are ready to buy. Even going into Christmas, they're ready to buy. Maybe if you are a fitness brand or you make some sort of exercise equipment, you know, probably around Christmas and New Year's, those first few months of the year, people might be more inclined to look into your product and do some research. 
So you can use those holidays, those specific times of years as your reference point and start to craft some sort of planning, not necessarily content, but some sort of planning around like, hey, we know we want to push this much around this time because this is where our buyers are going to be. So thinking like some of the broader trends that we've been seeing or are expecting in 2024, anything that comes to mind for either of you? As far as what? Well, I mean, so we were just had our tier 11 leadership meeting. We were talking a fair amount of the economic environment where for the last 18 months, people have been talking recession, recession, except the economy keeps growing. So it's like very unstable, uncertain. But we have started to see a lot more messaging around efficiency towards brands, like brands talking about how they're more efficient. Are they mm-hmm. going for agencies that are maybe charged less or considering bringing something in-house, like what's actually most efficient? We're reducing their spend. Mm-hmm. That's the copy language <laughs> for for a recession is, yeah, save money, be more efficient. Yeah, as opposed to grow. Like when you're not in a recession, when you're in a growth phase in the economy, I make more money right now and scale to the moon. But that rings false in a recession. That's totally on point. Yeah, it's very much like adding more value for what people are getting. And that doesn't necessarily mean charging less as a brand, but it's delivering better service, deliver better product, making sure that people have success with your brand and product, Mm -hmm. shifting your budget around from one channel to another. There's maybe a sense that you should put more into the types of campaigns that generate the most return. But we've seen through a variety of internal and external case studies that putting your money into conversion campaigns only is not the most efficient way in the long run. It's spreading it out through the whole customer journey. Right. Just remember, only 3 to 10% are ready to buy now. The entire audience that you could reach. It's paramount to reach everybody else, the 90 to 97%. I think before we go into that, the trends, be aware that privacy and platforms are like everything's changing. You know, new laws are rolling out in the EU. There will probably be further changes, especially overseas, possibly in the US as well. We just saw that over 40% of purchases for Black Friday were buy now, pay later, which again is a potentially, I don't know if an indicator of recession, but an indicator of where we're at economically. So if you don't have that offering installed, get that offering installed. Find ways to break up your products a little bit smaller to sell to more people. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Said 40%? Something like that. Yeah, at least 40%. Yeah. Are buy now, pay later, is that risky for a brand? Are they on the hook if somebody defaults? No, I think they get paid up front. Of course, I'm not an expert in this. I'm guessing much like email, if too many people default, the provider of the buy now, pay later, like Klarna and pay and for and things like that might say, hey, you can't stay enrolled in the program. I'm guessing, but no, they're not on the hook. That's why you pay a fee to these companies to facilitate that for you. Now, if you did it in-house, yes. So if you did a payment plan in-house through software that you have and your merchant accounts and whatnot, yeah, you'd be on the hook and you'd have to pursue collections in some form. But so, yeah, so it's not a lot of risk, except for the lost fees. Yeah, it is an interesting insight, though, to the broader economy and how people have are spending their money. Because between that, you see stories about credit card being at the high, credit card debt being at the highest it's ever been. Yeah. So, Lynn, could we say that's officially a trend going into the new year? That's just where buyers are at, where people are absolutely. at. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And within that, we're also going into election year, which doesn't help anything. It makes things a little crazier in general. You know, I was just thinking through the recession sort of aspect of it. And you were talking about 
efficiencies. But I think the one thing that we can do as marketers and businesses can do as well that isn't financial is becoming more efficient and more clear with how you're presenting your your offers and your products. If you could become more clear on what your product does, what the benefits are, and just get straight to the point on how it's going to help this person or your potential buyer, I think that alone is going to also help you find more success. Because if you just have so much fluff, like I don't like fluff in general, I'm not a fluffy person. I think that's going to be somewhere where you can become more efficient that isn't monetary. You become more efficient in your marketing itself and, you know, like your copywriting or your creative and really just get things boiled down to a point where you're making it so easy for a customer to understand what you do and what you offer that they're not really going to have to consider any of your competitors or they're going to go to a competitor's site and be like, what are these guys talking about? If you can really boil things down to that point where you're so clear that a buyer doesn't have to ask any more questions. Or if they do have questions, they know where they can find them, or you've already answered them in more of your content. I think that's a point where you can definitely get more efficient in your marketing without having to cut budgets back. Mm -hmm. And we saw that from Meta where they said, you know, what they call it, that consumers have new muscles for taking in information and are making decisions at lightning speed. I think the risk is that people will take that to mean we should do less content when what I'm hearing from you is more address more of questions, dig into more angles so that you can find the clarity point, talk about more of the features, talk about more of the benefits. I think it means more content, not less, but better content. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean paid content. Mm-mm. I harp on it like every time I'm on the show. It could be organic <laughs> content, organic social. Like That's one of the easiest spots to do it. It could be user-generated stuff, having real customers answer questions in a reel or something. Meta has been pushing reels like crazy. So why not leverage that with user generated content in your reels? But it could also be the back end stuff like on your site, optimize your website. Obviously, that's time and money as well. But if you can get a good FAQ section on your site, that works wonders. So it's not necessarily about ad budgets. That's for sure. But yeah, in one form or another, whether that's organic social or blogs that are on your site, it is time, it can be money. But But that's part of the shifting budget. I mean, that's what we've been talking about for months now is that awareness, consideration, conversion, brand building, full funnel, whatever you want to call it, it's shifting your budget to more. It has to be organic. It has to be your website. It needs to be UGC. We're seeing that brands are not able to scale if they're only spending money on paid ads at the conversion level. You reach a ceiling and we see it over and over and over again where you just can't push past it. And the brands we've seen with amazing case studies, even our own clients with amazing case studies, all have had or have begun to implement brand building stuff. The law firm, they had brand building. They had videos and organic content and great case study pages and great product pages and placements everywhere and PR. A- another client that we have that's in the like information marketing space, same thing. We started pushing their blog posts. They had videos. They had multiple lead magnets. They've got organic stuff. We see it time and time again that the brands that only want to rely on paid ads at the bottom of the funnel, they put all their budget to it, they stop scaling. So I think to your point, Daniel, the data is proving you right. (laughs) You were right. (laughs) I'll take it. And a couple of places for efficiency, again, would be CRO stuff on your website, things that don't cost as much directly as paid advertising. Because if you can get your website and your customer journey on your website dialed in and efficient, 
then you can always put more money into the paid channels to drive to this higher converting site. Give an example. I once worked on a campaign where we didn't change the ads. All I did was look at the landing page and I optimized the above the fold, the headline, the subhead, put some social proof trust factors at the top, 14% lift within the first two weeks in conversions. 14% just changing above the fold. And I had like a whole page optimization. Like, yeah, we don't need it. We'll do those later. This is plenty, but it can have that much of an impact. All right, so we've talked about looking at your previous year, evaluating what's worked, what hasn't, using that as part of your plan, looking at the broader economic environment and potentially becoming more efficient so that as a brand, you can survive and be ready to grow when things are a lot more clear. These are setting the stage for planning. Anything else that we should be considering before we start to get into the details? No, No, I don't think so. Get into the meat. Yeah. In your notes here, Lynn, one of the things I saw is like, the thing you should always keep in mind is your company mission. Everything you do from marketing or customer service, or even when you are in the product development, it's all about the company mission. How do you think people should look through that lens when they are doing their planning for 2024? So I'm very woo when it comes to marketing. And I'll go woo and then I'll go practical. From a woo perspective, when everybody is aligned around the vision that you're trying to build, you know, what you're trying to manifest as an organization, as a collection of people in your marketing, keeping that front and center makes it more likely that you're going to actually achieve that. But more than that, it's easy to get distracted by the shiny objects. It's easy to go, I want to try this trend or I want to do this thing. And that thing may have nothing to do with the mission you're trying to achieve. Yeah, it might be great to get so-and-so on this show or, you know, to do that. But if it's not actually helping your customers make their lives better, or it's not helping you meet the long-term company goal, it's it's a good idea, but it's not going to help you meet your goal. It's a waste of time. So practical and woo, important to keep the mission in mind. Mission, vision, two sides of the same coin. How do you keep marketing connected to the rest of the business? Big picture goals. So as if you're a marketing leader and you're developing marketing plans, your marketing plans should be built on what the goals are for the year from leadership. And if leadership isn't giving you clear goals, then something's wrong. You need to get that clarity so that you as a marketing manager can say, hey, we did what you asked. We are helping grow revenue. The risk is marketing is doing stuff in a silo and isn't having those conversations with business to say, hey, this is how marketing is driving revenue. This is how marketing is meeting these big picture goals for the company. So once you can tie those things together, then you can have better conversations about budget and strategy and start to get the buy-in that marketing needs. I guess from your perspective, what if you're the marketing manager, you don't have very clear goals, what things should they be pushing for and from whom? I would think the CEO who's helping guide this. If not, your CFO definitely (laughs) will have goals like how much revenue? What are our revenue goals for the next year? Do we want to grow our revenue? Are we trying to cut costs? Are we not caring about revenue? And maybe it's all about lifetime customer value and increasing the overall worth of a customer or a client. If no one else, the CFO should be able to give you some. And I go by revenue. Of course, we're direct response marketers. I believe that we're here to drive revenue. Ultimately, of course, delivering a good product, delivering a good experience only makes getting revenue that much easier. I think it's a really good framework for the next couple of steps here. Like, so we've got our goal for revenue. Maybe some questions are around like, how much are we trying to drive that revenue from our current customers versus new customers, which will kind of guide 
the next steps in the planning of its current customers. That there's definitely a marketing aspect, but potentially some product development that goes into developing new products. Yeah. So if you think of lifetime and the marketing math, lifetime customer value is the overall, right? Including initial sales, which is average order value and repeat sales. They all contribute to lifetime customer value. So as a super metric, it's a useful one. But yeah, for AOV contributes. So if we can get people to either buy more per purchase, which new products comes into play, hopefully you have more than one product, it contributes to that overall lifetime customer value, total revenue goals. Nice. So this kind of gets down to like knowing your numbers for like the last year, really like what's your cost per acquisition, really diving into, again, the channels that you're most successful for and really developing your plan to meet those revenue goals or any other goals. But you kind of have to have a basis for your decision making and your numbers. Yeah, we've seen time and time again that the brands that don't know their numbers aren't scaling and they don't scale until they know their numbers. It's like knowing your personal financials. It's painful to look at zeros <laughs> or to look at negative numbers, but you have to have somewhere to start. You have to know where the baseline is. Yeah. Another thing I'd say, considering what works and what you want to ex- test and explore, even though we're trying to be efficient, we still want to be exploring new potential areas of growth and efficiency. Maybe not as much of the budget, but still having areas that we want to be testing, always testing. Getting a little bit deeper into the strategy here, getting into the levels of awareness and thinking through the customer journey, knowing our overall goals. What are some of the next steps? So we think about, I'll use what we do at Tier 11 as a framework. So we'd start the conversation with your goals and then look at your budget. And we talk about how we split things. What are we currently doing across awareness, consideration and conversion? What are we currently spending? And then how can we shift that? And we could dig into each of those. That's sort of what people spend the most time on and money on and rush through it, which is bottom of funnel conversion. We've seen brands who are spending 90% of their budget on conversion. 90% and that's all marketing activities are to get the sale. That's traditional performance advertising. We can talk about that really quickly. People are going to know what that is. That's by now, it's Black Friday, here's a sale. It's the retargeting, hey, you left this in your cart. It's your product pages. It's by now, book a call. It's the stuff we think of as marketing. It's the stuff sales wants marketing to do. It's the stuff that maybe your CEO or your COO is like, yes, we need this content. But again, that's only hitting the 3 to 10%. Right. No. That's the numbers that anybody who cares about numbers wants to see, right? It's the sales. Mm-hmm. That's important. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it's really, really important. So I'm not saying no, never do that stuff. It is absolutely an essential part of marketing. It should be an essential part of your marketing plan, but not the bulk of your marketing plan. Because what we know is that if you only focus on that bit, you'll run out of audience. You'll run out of audience. You'll run out of scale. You won't reap the rewards you would have had in six months or a year as if you had done the brand building that we're going to talk about next. So yes, it's immediate wins at the expense of dramatic future growth. Right. Because if you're saying only 3% are ready to buy at that point in time, you're spending 90% of your budget on three out of 100. So how do you hit the 97 who might be interested? We're not saying they're not interested. They're just not ready to buy, or Mm -hmm. they may not have heard of you, you know? So how do you hit those? And that's where awareness and consideration come in. Yeah. So if we're looking at this from like a year long plan, which maybe feels a little long for some brands who are very conversion focused. Talk about some of the next steps 
for planning out and delivering content or anything else that's a bit more focused upper funnel. And there's, of course, going to have to be some convincing of people that, well, it's not going to show up now, but maybe by July, it starts hitting so that by the time we get to Black Friday, our overall audience is larger that we can then hit harder on Black Friday, Cyber Monday. What are some of the next steps for thinking through maybe moving up from conversion? A good question, because this really is the diamond question. And there's so much to it. Daniel, do you have any thoughts as I think? I mean, you guys probably know my answer is really use your social platforms as a playground. And I know that's not necessarily planning. You can plan it for sure. You could plan your organic social content. But if you can be intentional while you do that with, okay, like we want to find these audiences, let's put our messaging out there in our organic social. That really allows you to easily see what's resonating with people and it can inform so much more of the rest of your funnel. So that's always going to be my answer is the easiest, cheapest approach to discover anything you need to discover practically about your audiences or your product or your business is to get on organic social and really leverage that as much as you possibly can. In my mind, it's the most useful tool that you have available to you because it's cheap. And the algorithms will pick stuff up. I mean, you have the time to have the marketing cost, but you'll see where people start to comment. You'll see where the algorithms are saying, oh, this is good. And you can use those learnings to inform the rest of your content. You can see what your competitors are doing too. I mean, we talk about competitor research a lot. And I think a lot of times, even for me, I hear competitor research and I think like, yeah, go to their website, poke around, see what they've got, go to their ad library, go through their social and start looking at comments, start reading what people are saying to them, how they're interacting. And that's very informative. Obviously, if you're already doing your own organic social, you know, going back to things that you could take 2023 into 2024. You can look at your organic social too and really, really do a deep dive into that and see what people were doing there. How were they interacting with you? And did you do a good job of interacting with them as well? Organic social is one of the most informative things you have available to you. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the how of showing up, but also there's the content, the big ideas, the questions, the topics. Yeah, I think it is that what as well, like identifying, if we're talking about consideration, it's people who are considering your product which means they likely have questions or concerns, which you should be addressing in this phase of the funnel. And whether it's organic, social, email, anywhere that you're putting it out there, the thing Everywhere. I would be doing first is, again, going back to last year and seeing what questions people are asking in your customer service, again, posting on your social comments or your ads and using that as fodder for your content for the rest of the upcoming at least six months in that consideration phase. Do you think brands need permission to turn that stuff into content? Because most brands have this stuff at the ready and don't turn it into content. Do we need to give them permission? Yes, take a question and turn it into a social post, turn it into an email, turn it into an FAQ. Absolutely. It's free ammunition in my mind. You know, you've got the weapon. It's just free ammunition. So I would say absolutely. Obviously, if you're a video editor or graphic designer, if you're considering taking like a screenshot of somebody's comment where it mentions their name, like obviously you need to get permission from the person if you're doing it the right way. I I would seek out those permissions. But yeah, as far as permission to run with that idea of using customer comments or not even customer comments, but just random comments you get on your ads. Mm. Heck yeah. I think it's a great way. And I think 
if you already have along with that, if you already have an FAQ section on your site, but you don't have content around that, why not? That's easy content to create. I mean, easy, I guess, if it's easy for you. <laughs> I say it's easy, but you've got the content there. It's at the ready, like you were saying, when it's there, you just have to transform it into a reel or to a post or an image or whatever it might be. It's there. So why not? I think there should be explicit permission that they have to use any sort of questions or concerns that come up in their comments or customer service. I mean, that's what people care about, yeah. right? But that shouldn't just be for your external marketing as well. Like staying aligned with your company vision that has to be passed throughout the company so people understand what the customer, because in the end, it's all about the customer, like what the customer is experiencing, what their concerns are. How do you make the product better? How do you make the service better? Customer service better? And it's like using that every step of the journey. Anything else for consideration within uh, the 2024 planning? We think about metrics. So metrics at consideration, you're looking at subscribers, more than just video views and website visits, that's awareness. But for consideration, we're looking at opt-ins, subscribers, leads, followers to your channel, people are starting to visit certain pages. These are all signs that the consideration content is working. At an awareness level, yeah, we want them to follow us and watch our videos and engage with our social posts. But if no one is then going to the next step, we're doing things wrong. As well, consideration, that is everything from comparison pages on your website. Like, how does our product compare to the other? It could be UGC. It can be, here's how it works. Like, here's how the thing works. You press the button. It's this big and it does this. It could be lead magnets to get people to engage. As an example, we had a nonprofit who used as a consideration, a little bit of awareness, but mostly consideration content. So their conversion was donate. So the consideration was the step before, which was, Hey, do you want to for free do this activity with your kids or for yourself and like fill out and draw and customize this card for a kid with cleft palate issues? Come join us. Then after that, they were sent invitations to donate. But by then, they were already engaged. They'd done something for free. They'd learned about the company and the mission and cleft palate issues, and they were more likely to donate. And that's smart, too, because that also got them in that giving mode where they're doing something for somebody. I feel good. That yep. doesn't require money. Yeah, it's cool. How would you frame that as a larger directive for people walking somebody through their customer journey? Thinking about the cleft palate example, they're doing an activity that leads them down this path. Like how else would they, maybe not a charity, but... We can keep the same example just for time's sake. Their awareness content was, of course, educational and children's stories. It was educational about cleft palate as a disorder, but as something that happens when babies are born, the causes of it, the symptoms and side effects that affects children, what they can and can't do with this particular issue, stories of children... So it was, you know, awareness education, which then led to actually getting involved, subscribe to our newsletter, help send cards and gifts. And then it went to, hey, please donate. Please become a recurring subscriber, but donator. But it's walking through that of like, as a brand, you're so like, yes, I we have the best product and we have the best. Why don't other people get it? And it's putting yourself in the shoes of your customer honestly putting yourself in the shoes and going, yeah. okay, they don't know anything. They're seeing our competitors. They're seeing other things because people have desires and problems and pain points that they can solve in other ways that aren't you. So often we think about, well, we have to only talk about our product and they're thinking about our product as a solution. Well, they may not be. If someone's in a mood to donate and do good, they might be looking at other children's charities. They might not be looking for charities at all. They might be yeah. looking to volunteer or something. So keeping that in mind. 
I think it's a really good point, though, of like getting out of this mindset that what we do is just messaging or creative, but as driving activities, you want to get your customers to take activities with your brand, even if it doesn't cost them anything, especially if it doesn't cost them anything, because that makes them part of your ecosystem, builds more rapport, especially if you can deliver value in those activities. I'm not talking quiz funnels. That's an activity that's very brand focused in most cases. But how do you make these activities customer or future customer focused? Yeah, that's really specific to the brand. That's the fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you're adding value. And that's what you're doing with the example Lynn mentioned. You're like, hey, create a card and send it to a kid. It's like the value there, which this is unique to charities, for instance, the value there isn't necessarily at that point, you're necessarily intaking information that's going to help you later on. It's very emotionally based there. The value you're getting is that you did something good. You made somebody's day, you made somebody happy, and that should make you happy too. So yeah, it's always the activity has to have value attached to it. So you talk about like a free plus shipping book funnel, for instance, Mm -hmm. the value there is, yeah, you pay shipping, like, hey, the book's on us. This is our gift to you. You just have to cover, you know, like the three, four dollars, whatever it might be. Ideally, if you're doing this correctly, your book is chock full of value. And it's also if you're Alex Mm -hmm. or Mosey, for instance, it's chock full of CTAs (laughs) of, of getting people to buy, you know what I mean? So you're offering this value that then leads to deeper conversions So I think that's the concept there for sure. Yeah, providing value. Going back to quizzes and value. So where brands get quiz funnels wrong is that they don't provide value and information. So you think of two types of quizzes. A consideration slash conversion quiz would be which product is right for you. Take the quiz. Well, that's very brand focused and is very useful for certain psychographic stages and stages of awareness because that's useful. But that's not an awareness level quiz. An awareness level quiz would be What's your hair type? Take the quiz, you'll learn your hair type, and you'll get a five-page booklet on how to care for your hair type from experts. So yeah, you might have a product placement, but the delivery is value. The results page at the end should be all about that hair type and really provide detailed information that is beyond, hey, buy our stuff, right? But really like actually valuable. And where brands get it wrong is they just then go, hey, buy our stuff instead of providing you know, right. customized language and information and value. So I would challenge the idea that a marketing tactic can only be for certain stages because oftentimes it's the strategy of how you approach it. And there's almost always a way to make an asset work for different, an asset in terms of like a tactic, whether that's a lead magnet or white paper, whatnot, work for different stages. I'm thinking there's a little bit, there's an example that we were talking about at our leadership meeting of a brand called Laundry Sauce. And they do have a pretty strong awareness ad, we would say. It's kind of in line with that Dollar Shave Club, which I'll show here in a second. Talk, and they're in a really competitive space when they're going against Tide and they're trying to be a disruptor in there. So I'll share this. It's a quick 40 second ad. I love laundry. They're all creative, the laundry people. Yeah. So they're definitely <laughs> playing in that like risque space a bit. Oh. But going after their avatar. Yeah. So an underserved avatar in the space. Most people are like, oh, it's clean or it's long plastic, no extra chemicals. There's the guy who takes a bath in his, I don't remember the brand name, so it maybe didn't work so well, but he takes like a bath with a pod or something. The CEO does. But this one's going after a completely different space with lots of takeaway selling. Like, don't do this if you want to be a lonely single guy and it hitting off the, yeah, dudes, do your laundry. <laughs> strong, strong awareness. Right. Next step is to buy their product 
at. Do they have a free trial or a that's, that was a single my pod? Point. Like, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but their one-time purchase is $52 for laundry soap. I don't see an easy way to get a free sample. Hmm. and Or a low-cost would, sample of like a couple bucks. Yeah, because yeah, I want to smell it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't want to smell it for 52 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that would be the next step. Do they have any bundles or do they just have one product right now? They have their holiday package. Not any obvious bundles. A couple of packages that include dryer sheets and scent booster. Okay, so they can boost their AOV boost. They can boost their AOV with with stuff. It'd be cool yeah. if they just could send like one pod. One pod, one laundry sheet, and like you yeah. know a little a smelly Christmas ornament, like the like, those plastic paper. Playing to one thing to doing a load. <laughs> but that's yeah. not anything new in the space. But they should be doing it. Oh. Like you don't have to invent new stuff. Like, nope. I bought a new washing machine. I got a dishwasher. It got a little mm-hmm. Tide Pod. I used it. And it's like, well, that's a whole lot easier than getting detergent and soap. When you have a product like this where you're promising, it's, the promise is really smell. They don't talk about mm-hmm. being cleaner. It's the Axe body spray of laundry. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. It's got the same vibe for sure. But it works. But there should be a free sample or a low cost pack. You should send out a scratch and sniff card. Yeah. That's what they should do. If you've interacted, you end up on a mailing mm-hmm. list, like provide your address. Direct mail. Yeah, direct mail, well, scratch there's and there's tools sniff. now that can pinpoint your location by IP and stuff and actually scary. That is weird. So you don't even need to give your address. You could be targeted. Not, not a fan of that. <laughs> I'm not as deep into the direct mail space, but I know they definitely blanket areas. So if you're seeing through IP addresses, you have a strong source of visitors coming from an area that's an indicator that you should blank an area so i think yeah. daniel you had a great point maybe not not even a free sample maybe it is a scratch and sniff card yeah you would get at a perfume counter yeah or find in a magazine right exactly magazines what are those <laughs> Just in, people still yes. read those right yeah got the little perfume cards in there or the folded pages that you open up you remember those yeah they should do yeah. that but it is thinking creatively about that middle step about how you can start to deliver on the promise that you're presenting in your awareness level ads without getting the full commitment to buy $50 of laundry pods. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of the engagement with that ad is just entertainment. I think that's something we haven't mentioned is engagement can be entertainment. People are going to remember that because it made them laugh. And you know, entertainment can still tie to sales, right? I feel like sometimes brands like, oh, we're going to be entertaining, but it has nothing to do with their mission or their avatar or offer in any way. So I think there's a fine line. And yes, you want to just grab attention sometimes, but even better if you can tie these things together in a way that congruent. It's hard. All right. So planning, conversions dialed in, you've got your goals, thinking about how you can get people to take activities to make them a part of your brand story or how your brand can be part of their story, really. And then entertaining them while giving them promise and your awareness. And then it just kind of comes down to planning out how to do all that. Lynn, from your perspective, because I know for sure you've got more insight into this than I do. I can't speak for Tom. If we're talking through literal planning of a marketing campaign, for instance, what are the timelines typically that you might want to look at? Like, should you be looking at... Oh, like per campaign? 12 months, six months, three months... Or is that just going to depend? I sit in the camp that says we should do things that we can repeat and do consistently. Say it's a special offer for direct-to-consumer, one per quarter to start with, two per year. Like if you've never done them before, 
two per year, building a special offer bundle that you promote just to get those muscles, just start flexing those muscles. Because we're trying to think long term, I would say instead of thinking where we're going to run a campaign and then nothing because you want to continue to do these wins, what can we launch that we can do consistently? Is it a blog post a month? Is it one social per day? Is it a new UGC per month? Is it an influencer campaign one for the year? Like I would say, what can we do consistently and build on that as opposed to thinking about just campaigns? That probably didn't answer your question, but. No, but it, but it's <laughs> but it did at the same time. I think it half answered it. Blog posts, I think, have become a really important tool. We've seen that a lot across, I think, a few different accounts here, where blog posts for media buying have become a really good tool to drive traffic yes. to one of the blog posts because you know that falls into the consideration phase for sure. Of like, hey, why don't you read more about this or about this specific topic within our little world here? But for the creative side of things, like for me, blog posts inform content. So blog posts can be a starting point, for instance. So, you know, to your point, if you can commit to one blog post a month, for instance, out of that blog post, how much content can you create that then starts to fill your social media calendar or fill your ad library? Then from there, you look to the signals that you're getting from that, for sure. I think the one thing that's hard that I struggle with is when you think through a content calendar, if you were to look at a blank calendar for a year, you have 365 days that are empty. So where do you even start? And then when you're talking about like awareness, informing consideration, informing conversion, Mm. so to say, then how do you do it? So it's like, man, you have so much awareness you have to put out there and then you fine tune it, but you still have to fill out all these days. That's where I struggle a lot of the time. Mm, Yeah, I go Schwartz. Most things, in terms of coming up with ideas, it's desire aware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware. I'm coming up with, if it's desire unaware, problem aware, I might dig into pain points. I might address problems, questions. You go into solution aware where they're comparing options. There's lots of opportunities there. I prefer to just bulk dump these ideas combined with SEO, which is what we've done, Tom, here at Tier 11. And you should be mixing it up. You know, if you've got 10 posts in a week, maybe six are awareness, two are consideration, can I math, two, and then do our actual conversion of like, hey, go ahead and buy this thing. Here's a special offer. Keep the appropriate mix of, what is it, 60, 20, 20, or 50, 25, 25. Keep that mix in your socials. I don't know if that answered your question, but and repurpose. No, like, it does. Don't I was think you have say, to come up with 365 unique, <laughs> unique posts. Yeah. And it's probably different if you're just starting out versus if you have a full year. If 2023, you were doing everything right and you've got all kinds of data you could look at, it's going to be different because if you were to start fresh, I would imagine there's going to be a bit of a delay for you to start seeing results with your marketing. You can implement awareness, but awareness is essentially you becoming aware of your audience as well just as much as they're becoming aware of you. So there's this learning phase of sorts there. If you were to start fresh, that's going to delay your sales coming in, I would guess. So versus if you had 2023 that you can look back on, you can then take what you've learned and cover those six months, for instance, to where you know these things work and they keep people engaged and you're going to maintain growth. But I think that's also where that idea of building your brand, like brand awareness to maintain steady growth first going for conversions all the time becomes really important as well. Yeah, for me, I like to think a bit like longer term, six months to a year, 
not necessarily planning out individual activities, but tent poles or themes yeah. for different quarters, all driving towards maybe tent pole times of year. So if you know you're trying to build an audience earlier in the year, or Mother's Day is always a big one. Like, what do we need to be doing to make sure that we are set up for a strong Mother's Day? And really making sure that there's always activity. There's always going to be this like 365 days worth of content going out kind of activity. But there's all these bigger campaigns. That's kind of how I tend to think about mm-hmm. these things. Yeah, yeah. and, it, and it, it, it will vary. It will vary from business to business because, you know, you're talking Mother's Day, like that wouldn't be an important day necessarily for a lawn care company or, or, or something laundry. like that, you know. Laundry yeah. sauce. <laughs> or laundry <laughs> sauce so you could smell like a dude. Like, hey, mom, you want to smell like a sixth grade boy? So, you know, like for a lawn care, it's going to be very seasonal. So you can really think through it from the, from the literal seasons. Busy times are going to be spring and summer. Maybe falls a little bit busy depending on your area. So like, what do you do during the winter that that can it's not necessarily that you have stuff written in on a calendar but you know like hey once winter hits and lawns aren't growing maybe that's where we educate people more we're not marketing our services per se but we're educating people on their lawns and proving our authority in this space so that when february march rolls around and we do start pumping out some ads like hey get on our schedule now the grass is starting to grow people are going to be like these guys know what they're talking about so let's go with them. So it will vary mm-hmm. business to business what your temples are. You can still be pretty clever with like lawn care. I think Oh yeah. Our lawn care client, they made grass slippers using mm-hmm. artificial turf. So you could be touching grass when it's cold outside. Right. There's <laughs> yeah. always top of mind. And it's really important to think about this in terms of not just the activity for the next year. It's like the imp- think more in the terms of impact. How are you gonna have the most impact within that time mm-hmm. frame? Yeah. So, Daniel, you had said earlier that 2024 is an election year, and that's something to consider in your planning. What considerations should brands be taking? It's kind of hard to say without sounding too, like, pessimistic, but I kind of feel like you can't take anything at face value right off the bat. Election years jack with everything. I mean, you see it at gas stations with gas prices. You see it in grocery stores. You're going to see it with your ads, too. It's going to affect everybody. And numbers are going to probably feel a little different. Trends aren't going to be as trendy as they were previous years. So I think it's more just you have to be very aware that we are in an election year. And you have to be very aware that things might look a little wonky. So there's the aspect of not panicking if something is crazy looking. And there's the aspect of instead of panicking, you need to really look into it find out what's going on, what might have impacted it. You know, obviously that's just in the U.S., but there's also a lot going on in the world too that is going to be potentially impacted by U.S. elections and all that. So yeah, that that's just my two senses. You can't take anything necessarily at face value like you might have been able to last year. Even more cautious. Elections drive divisiveness and loyalty and probably people not considering other options, whether that's for the election itself or the products, probably a little bit of wanting safety in their decisions and not having things questioned. And then the other yeah. more concern for budget is inventory is going to be eaten up by election advertising. Yeah, that and just in general, people's attention, the closer we get to November, people's attention is going to start getting pulled more and more. Even their feeds, for instance, you mentioned inventory, but even just their feeds, I think you're going to have a lot more of your friends and family on Facebook, for instance, who are just going to start 
ranting about this candidate or whatever it might be, your feed's going to fill up with a lot more of this too. But you also might see people, I, I think you see this more and more now, people get off of social media during election times because they just don't want to deal with it. So attention is going to be pulled and you might even just lose small portions of an audience because they're not interacting on social media platforms during this time. So yeah, there's just a lot to consider that things aren't going to be normal as we go throughout this year and then probably into the next year too. People are not going to be acting normal as well. So just always interesting times, just something to always be aware of. Well, I think we've given a bit of guidance for 2024 planning, maybe not too tactical, but just planning isn't really tactical. It's strategy and thinking about how you want to approach the year. Lynn, I know you are talking about we might have a lead magnet that we're putting together. Yes, I hope so. Can we green light it? Yeah. I would like us to give listeners an actual guide or roadmap for building out a 2024 marketing strategy slash plan that incorporates brand building and incorporates all the things we've talked about. Heck yeah. So we'll be putting that together and you'll be able to find that at tier11.com slash ACC. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it's not used, so let's go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thank you both very much. And if you are looking for somebody to help you plan out your 2024 and be a good partner for you and being more efficient throughout your customer's whole journey, head over to tier11.com, click the big pink button, and we'd love to chat with you. Daniel and Lynn, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. See you. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.